We are uh, now into part two of I Didn't See That Coming, and uh, this really is a story about an amazing man, and uh, while his story is specific to him, there are general aspects here that apply to you and to me. Last week, we talked about uh, divine interruptions, uh, and this week, we're going to be talking about changed lives. But in that context of changed lives, I have a pop quiz for you. It's just um, uh, one question that has eight parts. Here's the question. What do Charlie Sheen, Mr. T, Jane Fonda, Dwayne Johnson, Mickey Rooney, Chris Pratt, Justine Bateman, and Chuck Norris all have in common? You don't know? Every single one of them either have claimed or do claim to be believers in Jesus. Every single one of them. Now, it's a little quiet right now. Why is that? Is that because you might doubt that? Is that because you have a a less than complete history of some of these individuals that you remember from news reports or stories on the Internet? I understand why uh, celebrity conversions in some ways uh, have a history of people not necessarily accepting them. I I get why that happens from time to time, because there's a background to this. There's another history. Uh, Sometimes people have made those kinds of statements, and then then, uh, a week later, a month later, 10 years later, there is a a video that shows up on TMZ, and they they say, you know, Charlie Sheen said this, but look at here. And And there's 30 seconds of video that, well, is not necessarily made for young audiences. And it's a challenge. But before we make too uh, hasty a judgment on these kinds of individuals whose lives are more than public, what would happen if TMZ had video day in, day out of you and me? Who are here every Sunday and sing, Christ is enough for me. And holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. It's a bit of a challenge at times. And there are specifics here that um, I I get it. Uh, Our life is not their life. Their life is not our life. But here's the simple question. What What would it be like for you and me to have our entire reputation wrapped up in the events of the worst day of our life? That wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be fun at all. Last week, we began looking at the story of Saul, uh, this, this religious leader who um, is intensely persecuting people who want to follow Jesus. And as, um, uh, as he is on his way to put some more believers in jail, Uh, Jesus meets him in a powerful and memorable way. And uh, when it's all said and done, uh, Saul thought he was working for God and only finds out that he's working against God. 
And God lets him know pretty clearly. That was part one. Today, we're going to take a look at part two. What happened when Saul was led away blind by the hand? And what we're going to find out that this really isn't a story about Saul as much as it is about us. Whether we really and truly believe that people can change and that God can bring about that change in people. That's what this part of the story is really all about. Um, um, Let's take a look at Acts chapter 9. Let's read up here, Acts chapter 9. And I encourage you to read through. It doesn't, there's a little bit of reading, but read through the book of Acts and see this incredible story about what happens. And the second part of his uh, conversion uh, starts in Acts chapter 9, verse, 20, uh, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named uh, from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's a kind of a little bit of a commercial for what's the message we're going to have in two weeks. Uh, painful blessings. I will show him how much he must suffer uh, Uh, For my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now I know uh, this story, like many others in the Bible, is really challenging uh, to read. But again, the challenge is not necessarily about what we read. The challenge is about what you and I see every day in other people and what we believe about the ability of God to do things in the lives of people that I know and that you know and in my life and in your life. That's what this challenge, as we read this second part of the story, is really all about. Before we're able to see People spiritually change. Ananias is hearing things, and people are seeing things, and they're they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, Charlie Sheen just showed up at church today, and he's going to preach, right? Now, notwithstanding the fact that whether you believe it or not, that's what's going on. And the question or the challenge is this. 
Before we're able to see the people, uh, see the people spiritually change, we need to change the way that we see people. We really need to change the way that you and I see people. Notwithstanding all the amazing stories that you and I read in Scripture, um, there's some that are just absolutely uh, if you ever want to do just kind of an interesting read, just go through Scripture and read the conversations that God has with people, that God himself has with people. And some of those are just, they're absolutely fascinating. But the ones that are really fascinating to me are not necessarily the things that God says, the parts where God speaks to people, but it's the part where people speak to God. And this is one of them. This is one of the most fascinating things. Pay attention here. He says, just, this is what Ananias said in Shan's paraphrase version, okay? God kind of knocks on the door in the vision that he has, and he says, um, uh, Ananias says, God, um, I need to let you know some things about this guy's past, as if there's some things that God doesn't know. You know, God was uh, too busy, and uh, the uh, HR report uh, for Saul was thrown on God's desk, but God was too busy to read it, so he just kind of ignored it and went with his gut uh, feeling anyway, kind of a thing. And Ananias knows what the HR report says, and, and he says, God, there's some things I need to let you know about this guy's past. And God goes, um, yeah, I need to let you know some things about his future. God, there's some things that you don't know. And God says, there's some things that you don't know. You only know about his past. I know what's going to happen from this day on. Do you? You see, all too often, you and I are, whether it's ourselves, whether it's uh, the person sitting next to you, the people in your family, people that you work with, whatever, we talk about our past, my past, your past, their past, everybody's past, and everybody's focused on the past. And God says, hush, all of you. I know what happened yesterday, I know what's happening today, and I know what's going on tomorrow. God, uh, God gets sick and tired of you and I bringing up our own past and somebody else's past, and he wants to remind you and I about our future, about what's going to happen, what can happen, with who we're going to become, how the, different, the difference that he's going to make in our lives, the changes that he can bring about in our lives, but sometimes you and I cripple that because we say, God, you know, I'd really like to participate but I can't. Because, you know, a long time ago, I, I made some really stupid mistakes. And God says, get in line. God, I'd really like to help out and make a difference in somebody else's life, but there are things that people know about me. God says, well, I know it, and I called you. I know who you are, I know who you were, and I know who you're going to be. The conversation that Ananias has with God is oftentimes the conversation that we have with God. And sometimes we're talking about ourselves. And sometimes we're talking about somebody in our family. And sometimes we're talking about a friend that we know. And every once in a while, God just says, you know what? Knock it off. Just stop it. Because I, I am in the business of changing history. I'm in the business of changing people. And if, and, and if you can't remember that, then you need to trust me. Listen, God gets that you and I have bad memories. 
not only about all the good we've done, but sometimes all the ungood, there's a word for you, that we've done. And he's in the business of just wiping it away. Wiping it away. Wiping it away. It's gone. It's gone in God's mind, in God's eyes, in God's history, in God's books, in God's memory. It's not there. And, and all I want to say about that is if God set it aside, I think it's about time that you do the same. Let it go and let God take over and do the things that he's had planned for you for a long time. We hear what God says about what he has in store for us. But sometimes we have a hard time believing it. We don't doubt God, we doubt ourselves, but... We take the doubt that we have for ourselves and we superimpose it over the power of God. And if we doubt that people can change, then the question is, have we really changed? Part of the desire of wanting people to change means that we have to change the way that we see them. Not because of how they cut their hair or what they wear or how they talk or where they work or what they have on their skin or don't have on their skin, but how God sees them. He created us. He made us. He knows us. Listen, here's the bottom line. If the, if the, if the, uh, you made a big deal, uh, we make a big deal sometimes about the celebrity conversions that happen because uh, uh, for some reason it seems that Christianity might be uh, enhanced if people of that kind of reputation uh, can come to Jesus. L- let, me, let me give you something really, really simple to understand. Jesus is not made better by the goodness of those who come to him. We are made better by the goodness of Jesus, period. And if we're not, if if Jesus is not made better by by our goodness, whatever that degree may be, then he's not harmed by the lack of goodness that we have. We we don't get extra credit from him because of who we quote unquote might be or who somebody else thinks we are. And credit is not taken away from us because of who we might be or because of what somebody else thinks that we are. That is not insignificant. If you and I have known someone for a long time, believer, unbeliever, And what you know about that person sometimes damages the way that you think about them, especially in the way that God might or might not be able to use them. Then you need to talk to God about how you see that person. Maybe it's an ex-wife or ex-husband. Maybe it's a 
a child, uh, an adult child who's uh, an addict. Maybe it's a family member who's an addict. Maybe it's uh, someone that you work with that really you don't have a high, I mean, they're, they're good they're a good person, but something happened five years ago, 25 years ago, and you still bring that worst day back into their ability to be loved by God or, to be, or for them to serve God, you need to let it go because this is a whole lot more about how you see them than how God does. If we want people to spiritually change, then we need to change the way that we see people that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and he can't wait to make a difference in their life. And oh, by the way, he just might make the difference in their life through you and me. So we need to change the way that we see people, number one. And number two, here's, here's the real, here's the, the rub. As difficult as it may be to see people differently, here's the challenge here. It's easier um, it's easier to help people spiritually change when we have spiritually changed. It's easier to help people spiritually change when we've done it. Firstly, because you know what you're looking at. There are some things about God that are hard to understand. I get that. I've been doing this for a long time, and, and there's a lot of stuff that... Uh, sometimes doesn't make sense to me. But then God says, Shan, just trust me. And I watch for a little bit, and I'm just, wow. God, what you have done, what you've done for them, what you've done through them, what you're, you're doing through them is absolutely amazing. And even though I know that there's no limit to the power of God, I'm still surprised by the power of God. Even though I know there's no limit to the ability of God, at times I'm still surprised by the ability of God to do amazing things in people's lives. Because in my weakness, I tend to doubt not only what God might do in my life, I tend to doubt what he might do in somebody else's. In my humility, I am stunned and grateful for what God has done in my life. And in joy, I'm thrilled at what God does in other people's lives. And the reason why that's happened is God's done so much for me. He's changed me in ways that I could never do. It's really, it's really all about him. I wonder what Ananias was like before he met God. Scripture doesn't say it's silent, and I'm not necessarily adding a whole bunch of things here, but I just wonder. I wonder what Ananias was like before he met Jesus. I wonder what things God has forgiven him. I wonder if in this conversation, uh, God, uh, there's some things I need to let you know about Saul. God says, you go. I've already chosen him to do amazing things for me. I know what he's going to do for me. I want you to do what I'm asking you to do for me. And oh, by the way, if you think it's impossible for Saul to change Ananias, how have you changed? Who were you when I rescued you? What did I redeem you from? This goes back to what John was sharing with us not too many minutes ago. 
if uh, every once in a while it's a good thing when the communion tray is passed or when we sit down to think, God, you, what you've done in my life is, is uh, it's not measurable. It's incredible. And I'm thinking again about what it was like years ago when I came to you, days ago when I came to you, whenever it was that I came to you in that first time. And I look back and I see where you've brought me from and I see the changes that you've brought in my life. And God, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm amazed. I just want to stand up. I can't sit down too much longer. That's what it's like. And that's, if we want to see that change in others, that change needs to take place in us because... It's that change that other people see in us that inspires them to say, wait a second, if it happened to Nicole, then it can happen to me. And if it happened to Tim, then it can happen to me. If it happened to Glenn, it can happen to me. If it happened to John, it can happen to me too. Because if Jesus can do amazing things in their life, then I wonder what Jesus is going to do in mine. That's the whole point. If you're asking for people to change, you can't presuppose that they're not capable of change. We're going to see them differently because God sees us differently. And because God sees us differently, we see ourselves differently. And now that we can see ourselves differently, because we have changed, we see that others can do the same as well. God is in the business of changing people. If God's changed you, he can change someone else. The greatest evidence of God doing that is the changed life. Period. Great or small. Little bit or a great bit. That's the greatest evidence. I know that you know this. I know that you understand this. But the challenge is, to be reminded of it every day. When we say each and every week that our entire purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus, I'm saying to you that I believe, even in my own particular way, that that is measurable. That people who are miserable now are not as miserable. And people who are not as miserable now actually are happy. And people who are happy are getting happier more thankful, more grateful, more encouraging, less discouraging. Uh, their words are a little bit uh, thought out before, as before, just blurting things out, and, 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 and nobody's remembering what we used to be like. Everybody is now looking forward to what we're going to be like, because that is what this entire project, that's what this entire mission, that's exactly why we're here. Because we're not who we used to be, and we're grateful for that. And there are some things that we're so thankful that God has taken away. We're so thankful that God has forgiven that there are parts of it that we can't even remember anymore. And that could be one of the best gifts that we ever have this side of heaven. It's time for us to see people differently. And in order to help them change into finding and following Jesus, we need to continue to change. We need to grow. We need to be grateful. We need to be thankful and pay attention to who's coming our way. Who is God bringing our way? How is God changing them? How is God cleansing them for real, real 
hope, real, real joy, real, real change in their life. At the very end of that story, there's a really powerful sentence, the story in Acts chapter 9 about Saul. It says this, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The most powerful word in that sentence is baffled. There were people in Damascus who were following Jesus. There were people in Damascus who weren't following Jesus. There were Jewish people there who were not following Jesus. There were Jewish people there who were following Jesus. And every one of them, it seems, knew who Saul was and knew what Saul was doing there. And suddenly, the man who they thought he was is no longer the man he was. And the man he's now become is astounding. I think it's about time that for the sake of Jesus, we baffle people. Here's a neat story that I'll close with. The ceiling of the Sistine Chapel is one of the greatest artistic triumphs for all time. From 1508 to 1512, Michelangelo laid on his back and painted the fall and the flood. Michelangelo's magnificent art started to fade almost as soon as it was completed. Within a century of of that work being done, no one remembered what his original frescoes really, really looked like. A painter described it uh, this way in 1936. We see the colors of the Sistine Chapel as if we are looking through smoked glass. That's how much dirt and grime had begun to cover this incredible work of art. In 1981, scaffolding was erected. Two men, using a special solution, gently began to wash a small corner of the fresco. And they invited art experts to examine the work. The result was literally stunning. No one had imagined that beneath centuries of dirt and grime and filth were such brilliant colors. Michelangelo was never known by centuries of art critics to use this kind of vibrant imagery and color. All the experts thought even in his greatest way, he was still average. The new artist mastered azure and green and rose and lavender with nuance that they just never imagined him having. Their success prompted the restoration of the entire ceiling, and the task was completed in December 30, the end of the year, 1989. It had taken twice as long to clean the ceiling as the artist had needed to paint it. Did you hear me? It took twice as long for them to clean the ceiling as it did for Michelangelo to paint it. But the result was breathtaking. For the first time in 500 years, people viewed the masterpiece in all of its intended beauty and glory. And what it took men to do twice as long, it can take God that fast through the power of Jesus. All your dirt, 
all your filth, all your junk, all your memory, all the things that are discouraging, all the things that steal joy and hope can be cleansed. Gratefully, joyfully, intentionally by the power of God. If you try any other way, and some of you have, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, it isn't going to work. It'll only get clean a little bit. It'll be clean enough to, uh, to, for, for the artist uh, critics to be able to say, yeah, that's the person I remember. Not, this person is amazing. And God wants to restore us. The one who made us, the one who created us, wants to restore us for what we were really intended to be all about. And that's to love God and honor him and help other people to love God and honor him. And it's about time that we have changed lives and that we change lives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for changing us. God, thank you so much for giving us hope. God, thank you so much for giving us that hope through Jesus. Lord, there are lots of times when we remember all of our dirt. We can see it, we can smell it, we can feel it. And Satan loves nothing more than to have us wallow in all of it. But you are not about that. You do not abandon us. You do not leave us. You do not have us hopeless in this life. You rescue us. You clean us up. You present us beautiful before you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for changing our lives. God, help us to, to, to demonstrate that change in our lives powerfully so that other people will call out your name. Other people will ask how we did that and we will say, it's, it's God. It's you, Lord. You've done this for us. You're doing it to us. You're making it possible for it to be done to others. So help us to bring this name, this hope, this life to everyone we know. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.